You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. Just a few preliminary comments before we get started. Tanya, thank you so much for giving our church that opportunity. I remember when you called me and you said, I really don't want to ask because we're such a small church. And right away I said to you, small church, big hearts. And that proved true. And I also, I hope that you picked up what Tanya said These two countries are very unique because there's so much relationship among the people of the two countries. You don't want to really go to war against your relatives on the other side of the border, and yet that's what they're being forced to do. I just want you to remember this little ditty that I'm going to give you. People don't start wars. Governments do. Governments don't suffer during war. People do. So, Deborah, you'll be reading immediately if you'll come up. And congregation, you know the drill. If you'll stand, we're going to honor God's word together. Deborah's going to read a rather lengthy passage, Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 19. So, Rhea, Ashlyn, and Daniel, um, we went over the same thing in our, in our um, class today. So should be familiar to you guys. By coincidence or planned? Coincidence. Coincidence, wow. There's no coincidence with God, right? Right. Um, And bear with me because I still have a little bit of a cough here. Um, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent, the considerable, spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derba and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bowls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. 
But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from the heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the, the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. Thank you, Deborah. You may be seated. You see the title on the screen. Today, I get to talk about one of my favorite topics. Not really. But we knew it was coming. We knew it would come at some point. It's just too prevalent in Scripture not to address this issue. When you think about it, it's not just the book of Acts. It's all through the Bible. Every man of God, every people of God have faced opposition and persecution. Every prophet of God has faced opposition and persecution. It's an earthly reality, whether we like it or not. And the reason it's a reality is because there's an enemy, an enemy of God and an enemy of good and an enemy of God's people. And his name is Satan. And he has hordes who work for him to try and cause God, cause God's purposes and cause God's people great pain and suffering. That will all end one day. But for right now, that's the reality. And we have been so blessed. I think when Steve prayed, I think it was you, Steve, you said we've been so blessed in this country in so many ways. We don't even understand how blessed we are. We haven't really experienced persecution and opposition to much of a level in this country. That may change. That may be changing. I'm not up here for gloom and doom. I'm just up here to relay the reality of the situation. We've been sort of an exemption rather than the rule, an exception rather than the rule, because God's people all through history have been persecuted and faced opposition. This will actually be a two-part message. There was 19 verses that Deborah read. It'll be a, it'll be a two-part message. And this week, exegesis. Remember that word? We're just going to go through it verse by verse. It, today is going to be factual. Today's, today is going to be informative. The purpose today is to simply look at the experiences of Paul and Barnabas in this area of opposition and persecution. Next week, the purpose of next week's sermon is to, for us to develop a biblical mindset towards opposition, towards persecution, just in case. I'm not up here saying, and I hope I'm right, because I've been asking the Lord and he hasn't really answered me. 
why these two messages on persecution and opposition. We have messages on prayer, then we have messages on the mission and evangelism, and now he's taking two weeks to speak to us about opposition and persecution. And I asked him, is that because that's what's coming? And no answer yet. But I'm not up here to preach a doomsday, oh, this is what we're going to face, because I'm not sure of that. I believe God's going to move mightily, and there's a chance that won't be the case. But we need to be prepared. Anyhow. So let's begin with some geography. I know there are some of you who love geography. I'm starting to really get my lines down now. In last week's text, Paul and Barnabas, they faced stiff opposition. They were actually run out of town. They were run out of Antioch, Presidia, if you can see that on the screen, sort of at the top of that hook. They headed for the city of Iconium, and hopefully you can see that on the map. Iconium is about 30 miles south of Antioch, Pisidia. Iconium, Lystra, and Derby are the three towns mentioned in today's passage. They're all at the end of that hook. And th- by the way, this is what Bible scholars call the first missionary journey. When the Holy Spirit sent out, the church sent out Paul and Barnabas, this is the route they took. We're not going to go into that again. But I will say this, this is all still in modern-day Turkey. That's where all of this is occurring. And these three cities, they still exist in some form. Actually, Iconium is Konya, and it's a very thriving city in Turkey. Konya, K-O-N-Y-A. A lot of tourism in Konya. You can go on Google and you can find pictures of modern-day Iconium in the country of Turkey. Lystra and Derby, not quite as much. Lystra today is called Kill Lystra, and Derby is E-K-I-N-O-Z-U. Eknozu, not sure. But all three of these still exist today, the story we're reading from over 2,000 years ago. Let's begin. The same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue. They preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message. They poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. So the same thing happened in Iconium as in Antioch, Pisidia. They began in a synagogue, and they had initial success, and they had many folks convert to Christ. They preached with such Holy Spirit power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers, got saved. That's the way it always seems to start out, right? But, again, opposition, persecution broke out against them. Some of the Jews spurned God's message. Spurned means to take lightly, to reject, to resist, to not want to have any, anything to do with. They spurned God's message. They poisoned the mind of the Gentiles. They began to speak and to gossip and, gossip and, and spread untruth about Paul and uh, Barnabas. And this is becoming the norm. If we've been following their missionary journey, great success, great opposition. Great success... Great persecution. And here's something that I thought was interesting. Boy, if we could just have a high level of the Holy Spirit's power, we probably wouldn't face opposition and persecution, right? 
No is the right answer because it's, it's right in here. They preached with such power. And even with that level of the power of the Spirit, opposition and persecution still broke out. Application, we said this before. Don't allow opposition and persecution in your life be a measure of whether God is in it. When we hit that adversity right away, we think, oh, either I stepped out of line or God left or, or whatever. This is part of the territory. This is the nature of the work. This is the reality of life on earth as a believer, at least as a committed believer. I guess if there's a way to cause the enemy to not harass you, don't live for Christ. Don't live for the kingdom. But man, listen, I would much rather face the harassment of the enemy for living for Christ than the wrath of God because I didn't. Now, this is temporary. That's eternal. So the last time it broke out, they actually were run out of town. This time, they did not leave town. The apostles stayed there a long time. I really tried to research how long, and nobody seems to know. But I think in your version, Deborah, it said considerable. It was a considerable amount of time they stayed in Iconium. Preaching boldly, that's so key. We'll talk about that more next week. Preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true, or approved of their message, by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. They were preaching. That doesn't mean they were standing behind a pulpit like I'm doing today. The word simply means speaking. It simply means telling. They were speaking to the people. They were telling the people about Jesus, and they were telling the people the good news, the gospel message. And they were speaking boldly. For now, just know that boldly means fearlessly. It means some other things, too. But fearlessly is something that caught my attention. It's one of the primary meanings of this word, boldly. They spoke to people about Jesus fearlessly. The word actually means freedom from fear. Wouldn't you love to be free from fear of any kind? But wouldn't you love to be free from the fear of telling other people about Jesus? It also carries a sense of confidence. So not only are you fearless, and by the way, confidence and fearless are so connected. When you're fearful, you are not confident. But when you're fearless, then you can be confident. So they were speaking fearlessly and confidently. One quick application of this point. This is a, place, a good place to listen. I think God has something to say very relevant to us. Speaking fearlessly and speaking confidently comes when we fully believe when we are without doubt. When you're not completely you're not fully persuaded, it's hard to be fearless and it's very hard to be confident. One of the worst situations for me that I feel ever to be in is when I have to talk to somebody about something that I'm not familiar and confident with. When we are completely persuaded, are completely convinced that what we're saying is true and what we're doing is right, 
and especially that it's of the utmost importance. Keep that in mind. When we're convinced that this is of the utmost importance, we'll be able to speak freely and confidently about Jesus. Here's the challenge. Could it be that we don't witness more because we do not fully believe, we are not completely convinced that this is of the utmost importance? You talk to people about things that you think are important for the most part. You talk to people about things that are urgent for the most part. If we don't fully believe what God has been saying to us for years now about the mission and the urgency of the mission, then we will not be fearlessly bold and confident in speaking about it. We will not be intentional and strategic Here's my question that I would really like for you to listen. Actually, look up. Do we really believe the destiny of the folks who don't know Jesus is the lake of fire forever? Do we really believe that? I don't mean up here. I mean, do we really believe? This is mental assent. Yeah, that's true. Scripture said it. Pastor said it. I've heard it before. That's mental assent. I mean, do we really believe it? Are we fully persuaded? Are we completely convinced that it becomes the driving force in our life to tell other people about Jesus because we know if they don't come to know Jesus, they end up in the lake of fire forever. There's no second chance. Don't buy that baloney out there that God will give us all a second chance. There's no reincarnation. There's one life and one chance to accept Jesus. And if you don't, Lake of fire for eternity. You say, well, what about people that didn't hear? That's always the question. I'm telling you right now, without a question, God will make sure that everybody hears. And God will make sure that everybody who's going to come to him will have the opportunity to do that. Don't, don't worry about that. Leave it up to God. Just make sure that where you are, you are telling people about Jesus. And if we're not fully convinced of that, we won't be bold about it. We need to ask him to help us, to convince us of this truth. We in America, Western culture, we're so blessed. That's a liability. That's an asset, and it's a liability. Because we have so much stuff to live for that we don't live for this. I really think that many of us, mental ascent, that people who don't know Jesus go to hell, but we don't really fully believe that. Or we would be living totally, not totally, that I get kind of exaggerating. We would be living different lives if we really, really believed that. We, our lives, we might look like the lives of these guys in Acts. That's what they live for. And just as a side note, and you know this, when we get to that point, then we might just see this level of power that we've been seeking. When we're living on mission with Christ. I've heard those things from me before, I know. Now let me, just a disclaimer, because I love us. I love you, and I love me, and I love us. This really isn't willful, rebellious unbelief on our part. It's mostly just who we are in the Western church. It's just mostly who we are 
in the church in our culture, in our society, in our generation. We're not willfully saying, nope, I'm not going to do that, Lord. We just are steeped in this unbelief. We hear it, we know it, we would tell people that we believe it, but you don't see it being the driving force that it needs to be in the church today. So back to the passage, God proved or approved of their message, of their efforts. He confirmed it. He affirmed it as true and legitimate through powerful miracles, signs and wonders. He authenticated and he legitimized their message and the messengers. He legitimized that the message is true and he legitimized that these are my messenger through when they spoke. He performed mighty miraculous signs and wonders and it says he gave them the power to do that. Fearless speaking and the powerful miracle signs and wonders that accompanied it gave little room for doubt that they were authentic and this was from God. After hearing them speak, after seeing the miracles, you almost had to intentionally reject it and choose not to believe, which obviously some still did. There's always going to be opposition and persecution. As much as we don't want it, we don't like it, and we can't really understand it, why would you even do this? Why would you reject this message? Why would you persecute God's people? We don't get it, but it's a reality on this earth, and it will be until Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom. We need some of that fearless, confident witnessing. We need some of that power, miracles, signs, and wonders, don't we? We do, don't we? Amen. We do. And we don't just need it for our own sakes. We need it for the people who, who God's going to use us to reach. They need to see it. They need to hear it from us, and they need to see it through us. But the people of the town were divided. With all this going on, they were divided in their opinion about the apostles. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Then a mob. Man, Satan is so good at stirring up the mob. Then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Lycaonia, to the towns of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding area. And there they said, what's the use? We're done. We're just going to go back to Antioch, Syria. Is that what they said? No, and now they preached the good news there. That's what they lived for. Are you getting that? That's what they lived for. They were the church. They were no different than us. That's what they lived for. The opposition became great enough that they now needed to leave there. They needed to get out of Iconium because they were about to come under mob attack. They traveled a little south, about, did I say 30 miles? It's about 30 miles to Lystra and Derby, and they began the process all over again. You think they would learn their lesson. Every town they get into, there's opposition and persecution. They preached the good news in those new towns. They continued their evangelistic efforts in Lystra and Derby. Just a real quick, interesting fact, interesting to me. I love these little nuggets, but um, does the name Timothy ring a bell when you think of Scripture? Timothy, anybody? Ever, anybody ever hear of Timothy? Timothy was from Lystra. 
Timothy, the Timothy, who pastored the church in Ephesus, who has two epistles named after him, written to him by Paul, was most likely one of the converts of Paul and Barnabas from this first missionary journey. I find that kind of stuff interesting. Paul's second missionary journey, this is illustrating Timothy's role, Paul went first to Derby, then to Lystra, that's what we're talking about today in his first missionary journey, where there was a young disciple named, his mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. This is the second missionary journey, and by now, Timothy is already an established disciple, and he's a kingdom worker. The thought is he may have just been a lad during the first missionary journey when he came to Christ under Paul and Barnabas' ministry, or possibly through his mother who came to Christ under their ministry. Pretty cool stuff, right? Listen. You never know when you lead someone to the Lord who they may become. Don't ever, ever overlook anyone. You don't know God's plan for their life. Timothy was just a lad. Like our children sitting in, sitting in the, when Paul and Barnabas are preaching, sitting in the audience. All right, back to our train of thought. Squirrel? Oh, joke, okay. But while they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth. He had never walked. He was sitting and he was listening as Paul preached. Looking straight at him, Paul realized he had faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and he started walking. There were power encounters in Lystra. God's kingdom was manifesting powerfully to drive back the darkness to drive back the evil. Crippled from birth, gets up and walks. What do you think? Miraculous signs and wonders, they occur in the context of being on mission. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. We don't need the power of the Holy Spirit to lead our self-centered, selfish Christian lives. So if that's the life you're living, don't expect the power of the Holy Spirit. It's given from when, you're, when you need it, when you're on mission with Christ. When you have power encounters with the enemy, and God demonstrates that he's more powerful. Thought-provoking question for us. Am I fading in and out? Yeah. Enough that it's annoying. It sounds like it to me. That's why I asked. This is a thought-provoking question. Put your thinking caps on. Do you think you'll ever experience something like this? Do you think you would ever do something like this? Where the rubber meets the road, it's easy to read about it. These are tough questions. These are tough questions for the church. These are tough questions for believers today. Right? This is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. We've got to get off the pages of Scripture and into our lives. 
get this off the pages of Scripture and into our lives. We've got to get this out of the first century and into the 21st century church. i got to say this right. We have it. Just know that we do have it, but I'm going to say it this way. We don't have anything to confront Satan with. We have it, but we don't know how to use it. We don't really know how to confront the powers of darkness. Maybe some of you have read about this thing called SatanCon. Anybody hear that? Where they called the Church of Satan together in Scottsdale, Arizona in February. I forget the exact purpose, but it was to pray against the church. It was to pray against the good things that God is doing in these days. They're serious about it. Are we? Just a quick story. Just to run us a little longer. You didn't have to be anywhere, did you? <laughs> Years ago, we used to pastor with a num- we used to partner with a number of other pastors. We had concerts of prayer together. We started a house of prayer in Columbia. Many of you were with us then. You know what those days were like. The church in Columbia was moving forward. And I didn't really know too much about spiritual warfare type stuff. But we received word that the church of Satan in York County, and I'm pretty sure there is such a thing, maybe Google it, was taking a weekend and they were going to begin to pray and put curses on and speak against what God was doing in the church in Columbia. I didn't really know much about it, let alone what to do, so I didn't do anything. The weekend came, the weekend passed, nothing happened. Shortly after that, a friend of mine called me who knew nothing about this and is not in this area, and he said, hey, I just want to let you know that I really was impressed to pray for you and your family on this weekend. Of course, it was that weekend. And he said, and while I was praying, I saw huge warrior angels surrounding your house and protecting you and your family. That's from the For What It's Worth department. There is a real battle, struggle going on, and there are two forces, powerful forces. One is Satan and his demons. One is God and his angels. In case you don't know, Satan can't even compete with God. God is all-powerful, completely all-powerful. But it has to go on for certain reasons during this time until the end comes. Well, Satan is all out. He's releasing his power. But where is the church and God's power to confront that? And in these days ahead, as you can see, it's going to get worse and worse or at least increase more and more. And God is trying desperately to prepare and equip his church for what's coming. For what's coming from what he's going to do. And that's the exciting thing. But what's coming in the form of opposition and persecution, possibly. So Paul, looking at him, realized this guy had faith to to be healed. And just Paul called him out. Get up and walk. Can you see yourself doing that? That's part of the problem. We can't. We don't. I was praying one time with another pastor for a person who was very sick like this, and nothing really happened. But at the end, we were walking away, and he said to me, man, I think I blew it. And I'm like, okay, why? And he said, because I felt so strongly I was supposed to say to her, get up and walk. 
and I couldn't do it. And she didn't get up and walk, and she's not better to this day. Who knows, right? Who knows? We need to learn. I'm not being, there's no condemnation on any of us. There's no condemnation from God. We need to learn. We need to learn, and the situation is desperate, and the situation is urgent in these days ahead. The concern is this. Do we, can we even believe for it? It's very possible that if there's no belief or faith, it won't happen. We're not only talking about faith to be healed, to receive healing. We're talking about faith to be the healer as well. We need God to change our thinking. We need God to release faith into the church. Now, here's a very interesting point. There was no synagogue in Lystra. There was an Iconium, Antioch, Pisidia, everywhere they've been so far. There was no synagogue in Lystra. This is important for us. It was largely a Gentile population. Why is this significant for us? Because this initiates a major shift of strategy for Paul and Barnabas. Since there was no synagogue, they had no natural or familiar starting place. They had to change their strategy. So they began telling people on the streets. Or they began telling people wherever there was a crowd gathered. We call it parks or pavilions or whatever. They took it to the streets. They took it out of the church and they took it to the streets. And that's where the miracle happened where the guy was healed. We have a tendency to thinking it has, think it has to happen in here. 99%. I don't know if you can actually put a percentage on it. But 99% of Jesus' miracles did not happen in synagogue. They did not happen in temple. They happened out on the streets where the people were. We learn about it in here so that we can go out there and God can use us. Are you with me? Hmm. Now, wait. You know, what this could mean is that evangelism can happen out there. You don't have to bring them in here first. This could actually mean that power encounters Miraculous signs and wonders could happen at my workplace, in my neighborhood, or at a family gathering. What, are you kidding me? What would they think? What would they think? Better not, better not step out. What would they think? You know I'm being facetious, right? You need to start expecting told you when I got out of the hospital, one of the, God, one of the things God impressed on me was you need to help the church become excited for what I'm going to do in 2022 because there isn't a lot of excitement. We've been beaten down. I see it on our faces when I try to tell somebody excitedly, this is what God has planned. I get that look. I get that look of like, how could it ever be? Some at least, I wish it could be that way, but we're not really believing for it. We're not really expecting it. We're not really anticipating it. And if you're listening to the news, forget it. The news is a faith killer. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not true, a lot of stuff the news says, but the news is a faith killer. The time you spend listening to the news be better spent reading the Word or praying with other believers. Just a reminder for us, in case we forgot, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, 
because I'm going to the Father. Well, when the crowd saw what Paul and Barnabas had done, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are gods in human form. They prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. When Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay. We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news. Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. Verse 11 to 18 details this whole bizarre reaction that the town had. Satan was stirring them up. It was not the reaction they wanted. They tried to deify Paul and Barnabas. They tried to make them gods, small g. And, of course, this is the last thing that Paul and Barnabas wanted. They wanted people to exalt Jesus. They wanted folks to worship Jesus, not them. Moving on to the last slide in the passage. While all this was going on, you think the news would get better. The reality of opposition and persecution. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch. As Paul and Barnabas are trying to escape this crowd that wants to sacrifice animals to them, trying to convince them they're not gods, they're here to tell you about the true God, right at that moment some Jews from Antioch and Iconium arrived and won the crowds to their side, so they stoned Paul. You thought this was going to have a good ending. They stoned Paul. They dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. Wow. The reality of opposition and persecution. Don't ever allow opposition and persecution to be a measure of whether you're in God's will or not. In Iconium, there were some in the town who had spurned the apostles and their teaching. They tried to stir up unrest there, but no one was hurt. In Lystra, the apostles were not so fortunate. This time the crowd acted out, mob violence. They stoned Paul. They left him for dead in the city. But God had mercy on the apostle Paul. It says some believers gathered around him. It doesn't say they laid hands on him and prayed and he was healed. It doesn't say that, but you could maybe get that implication because it says some believers came out from the city and gathered around Paul, and he got up and went back into the city. And I'm just curious, because I think of these kind of things, while Paul was being stoned at Lystra, was he thinking about Stephen? Remember Stephen? As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul, or our Paul now, was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. What goes around comes around. I wonder if he was thinking of Stephen as he was being stoned and regretting and and feeling that remorse, which we know he did. There's no way of knowing what was running through his mind. We're going to stop here today. We're going to pick up this topic of opposition and persecution next week, but the focus will be us adopting a proper biblical mindset towards it. The reality of opposition and persecution, when you get serious about serving the Lord, when you get serious about kingdom work, you will face opposition and persecution. Will it ever get to this level for us here in America? Who says yes? 
Who says no? Who's undecided? The jury's still out. Will it ever get to that level in America? The jury's still out. Let's stop here now. Let's have Ray come. Band come. Get situated. Ray's going to pray. Congregation, if you'll stand. And I just want you to know, I'm preaching on this for two weeks, but persecution, I'm not too crazy about. You know that? Father, I'm staying up here today. And I think about being fearless. I'm up here today without any notes. All my words are coming from my heart. First of all, Lord, thank you for answering our prayers, for bringing lightness into darkness in this COVID that's been going on in our world. Thank you for the seasons, Lord, from the death of winter to the resurrection of spring where nature comes alive, where we plant our seeds for the harvest. But we need to prepare for that harvest. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the opportunity to join a small band of believers, Cell 13, and how that has helped me come closer to being one of your disciples. In cell 13, I've learned a great lesson from a youngster five times younger than me. His name is Blake. A lot of you don't understand him and never will, but being with him in cell 13 and what he has done for this church our, our group almost fell apart. If it wouldn't have been for Blake bringing new people in, we would have been lost. So he's like Paul and Barnabas. He's a disciple. We need to be a disciple like him also, Lord. We need to look at what Paul and Barnabas went through. The world today is the same way. It trapped in nothing but sin, hardships. We need to turn in a different direction, Lord, towards you for joy and happiness. What else can we do but to give our life to you, to be one of your disciples, to take all our worries and lay them at your feet, to be able to express ourselves you have given us the god-given right lord to be able to talk and speak so what's holding us back is it the opposition is it hardships think about it all of us have gone through hardships and opposition in our lives one time or another 
the Lord's preparing us for that. Thank you, Lord, for that. But now we need to move even further. We need to move to look for our mission in life, the race in life, like Paul and Barnabas. They were in a race also, but they never stopped. We can't stop either. We need to keep moving on. Finish that race of life. Find lost souls and move on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.